when you're prospecting, you know, and you're, you know, you're pacing and leading the person that you're talking to, and you're doing that through, you know, mimicking tonality and rate of speech and volume, and, um, and, and, and you, you, you can see where you can go from, you know, matching and pacing and marrying them to leading them in the conversation. It's the same thing as you get into leadership or anything else and how you communicate and, and connecting with, you know, the people that you're talking to. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I have the pleasure of interviewing Chris Heller, the former CEO of Keller Williams, a man who has built a real estate team that has survived over 33 years, has done thousands and thousands of transactions, has done amazing work in the real estate world, as not to mention he authors a book called Dominant Thoughts. And that book is life-changing, and not only just for me, but also for some other people. He shared some story pre, uh, pre-show that we'll talk about today. But I, I really like this. This episode is a, little, is a little bit personal for me because when I was deciding whether or not I wanted to go into real estate, Chris Heller's video where they showed around his office, you guys should, we'll actually link it in the description, was one of the deciding factors of going in. I thought this man has got it together. He's prospecting in a way that I do in my B2B job. If he can do it, I can do it. And so Chris, thank you so much, not only for making an impact on the real estate world, but for making an impact on me personally. So that being said, take us into like, what got you into the mindset of prospecting and doing things on, you know, the regular? Um, that's a great question. Thanks for having me on. And I've told, I've, I've said many people the same thing you just said, that if I can do it, you certainly can do it. So um, thanks for pointing that out again. The, uh, you know, when I got into the business, I, I, I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a great personality. You know, I, um, I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything, right? All I had was a work ethic and then um, the the desire and the deep burning desire to, you know, to make things happen. So I wasn't, there wasn't, there was no business that was going to come to me, right? So I had to, from day one, get out there and find it. And, and so my business from day one, till till um me stopped being active in it which was 2010 but still the team continues on and the team is still very much operates in um you know in in a way i did where they're prospect based and lead generation based and that's the focus um it was out of necessity is why is why i did it because i didn't i didn't have anything else to that was gonna help me uh help you know get opportunities to help people buy and sell homes so you have a you know a concept in your book about being committed, not attached was obviously you're, you're, you're painting the story of you, you had to succeed, right? Otherwise, you know, what's, what are the other options, but where in the journey did that, that exact concept come into play? Yeah, that's, it's a great question. And let me explain what I mean by that too. Um, and, and, and I'll answer your question first, where in the journey that came was, um, was pretty early in my career, probably like a couple, two or three years into it. As a real estate agent, you know, it's a roller coaster, right? You're one phone call, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the next phone call, you are, you know, the the cause of someone's anger and frustration and disappointment and everything else. Um, 
and, and, you know, and, and bad things happen in business, bad things happen in real estate transactions fall out and people's home, you know, dreams are, you know, crushed and, and, and all those things. Now, fortunately, more good stuff happens than bad, but that stuff happens. I would see it happen to other agents and I would see it absolutely like destroy them, take them out of the game for, for days or weeks. It'd be like, hey, has anyone seen, you know, Jeff lately? Uh, he had that deal fall apart a couple of weeks ago. No, I haven't seen him since. Well, someone should check on him. Like, he's, <laughs> make sure he's still with us. Um, and I was like, I can't afford to have that happen. And then the other thing, when those things would happen to me, as much as I, you know, didn't like it or didn't want it to happen, I had to, I had to, you know, I had people that depended on me. My, my family, the people that worked for me, my other clients were, you know, were dependent on me to, to get up off the ground and, and go do what I needed to do. So I quickly developed this, like, okay, I can't be attached to the outcome. Um, the other, the, here's the other place where I really recognize it was in negotiations. When, when an agent brought me an offer and they were super attached to, you know, the deal going together, maybe because they haven't sold anything in a while, they really needed a commission or anything else. They would say and do things that they shouldn't say and do. Right, they, they would, they would give away their leverage. They would do that. So, um, so I know if I could operate in a in a way where I wasn't being attached, but being committed. And and the distinction there is, like I cared as deeply as anyone else that my client got the deal or got their home sold or had a smooth transaction, but I didn't let myself become emotionally attached to it because when you're emotionally attached to it, you you hold on too tight. You feel it in your stomach. You're, it affects your emotions and. And you can't be a solid professional when you're feeling that way. It's like the, the emergency room physician, right? If he was attached to every situation and every patient that, that came through there, they saw in a 24 hour period, at the end of 24 hours, the, that, that doctor would be a wreck and they're probably ready to jump off the building. Um, they're committed to helping every patient and curing them and fixing them and getting them out of pain, but they can't be attached and still be effective. And so that's how the concept sort of came to mind. And then it was, you know, being aware of that and then working on that, you know, over time. So you obviously started off as an agent and you've grown into a team leader and, and way, way beyond. One of the challenges that I've gone through is, is like some of those principles, it's hard to carry them to a different level, like time management and these sort of mindsets for you. How has the journey been? Like once you developed it there, was it easy or like, did it become harder to attach, you know, or detach later on? Um, it's never easy, uh, but like a lot of these things are, are, um, habits and disciplines that you build. Right. And so when you build that muscle, um, as long as you keep using it, you know, it, it, it doesn't go away. So the hardest part is building the muscle or the habit initially, once you've done that, then it's, you know, constantly, you know, using it and reminding yourself. So the bigger your organization gets, the, the bigger your role gets, um, it actually is, is probably even more important to be able to use those skills and, and, and those muscles that you've developed to be even, you know, to be effective when the stakes are higher or there's more people involved. Yeah. Well, and like carrying this commitment and attachment thing, like a lot of times people who are doing it for the results, even when they get the results they want, like they succeed, they make a certain amount of money. Now all of a sudden they relax because they've achieved the goal, right? As you, as you attach to the process, then, then there's this perpetual thing that happens where you, you continue to act and be successful regardless of your actual results levels. 
Yeah. Like, I think for me, it's probably a little easier because I, uh, I don't know if I was born this way, but at some point I definitely developed this insatiability where I'm never satisfied and never satisfied with the, you know, where I'm at or the job I'm doing. Um, and so that kept me, you know, that kept me from getting complacent or, or, you know, relaxing. Um, and I also, the other thing was probably that I always had big goals, right? So if you're, if you have these goals that are really hard to achieve, then, you know, any, any letting off the accelerator means that you're pretty much guaranteeing you're not going to achieve them. And, and my goals were, were not only big, but they were super important, like so important that I would do what I needed to do, especially on the days that I didn't want to do it. So you talk about insatiability. How does that contrast with say things like happiness and fulfillment? Like, are you feeling fulfilled in your journey while you're insatiable? Yeah, like a great question. When when I was younger, probably not. I think I think and part of that was probably business maturity or lack of business maturity or just lack of maturity. Period. I think now um, I have a, I probably have a not probably I have a different perspective. Like I I know what I do professionally is is a game. It's the game I chose to play, um, but in the big picture. Uh, it's not what's important, right? It's not, you know, the, the, the family, the friends, the impact that we make on the people that we care about, or even the people we don't know. Um, but being able to make a difference, those are the things that, that matter. So, um, there's, uh, it's probably a little harder for someone like me, who's, who's, you know, not satisfied or very driven or, you know, uh, has a deep desire to keep growing and learning, but you can, um, as I have, you can absolutely, you know, be happy and fulfilled and want to do better and get better. Yeah. So you're, as you're escalating, like what were, what were the challenges you face as a team leader that you didn't face as a single agent? Uh, well, the first ones were, um, you know, all evolved around management and leadership, right? Um, as an agent, if something needed to be done, I did it. And, and, and I would do the things that need to be done, whether I wanted to do them or not, or felt like it or not, or enjoyed them or not, because that's what I needed to do to achieve it. When I started growing and, and needing to bring people on to help me do more, um, my mindset back then was, everyone should just be like me. Right? I don't, you know, and why aren't they like me? You know, what's wrong with them? Um, and what would happen is I would, and I've always, to this day, I've always attracted very good people and talented people and good people um, and good humans. But um, early on, they would leave, right? It was like a revolving door. And after a while, it was like obvious that you know, I was the common denominator <laughs> and that I, I had to, I had to like go from the attitude, well, I don't need to be a manager or a leader or a good manager, or a good leader. I just, you know, people should just be like I am to where, wow, I actually need to be a great leader if I want to have great people to lead. And so then it became this journey of, of really trying to, you know, to be a, to be a good leader and, and to, to be, a good example of, of what that, what that looked like and what that meant. 
I want to get deep into some of what those specific things were. So for example, I mean, you were obviously setting a great example for your team in the sense that you were doing the discipline things, you were doing the work, what either softened or what changed, you know, in order to provide that leadership? Uh, um, one of them was just the realization that, um, that everyone's different, right? And what's important to people are different and, and behavioral styles and different personality styles. And I, and I really saw that in, in two areas. One was the people that worked with me and then also with the consumers that I was helping. You know, early on, uh, my business was very listing focused. And so I would be going on a lot of listing appointments and I had a, um, you know, presentation that was, you know, that I internalized and was able to present in, you know, like clockwork. And I would go into an appointment and I would do that. And sometimes it was just magical, you know, the, in 20 minutes, they got it. They agreed, they understood, they, you know, it, it just worked perfectly. And then I leave there and go to the next appointment, you know, an hour later and I'd be there and it would be like, you know, like <laughs> we, we were missing completely. Um, I was like, what was happening? And then, and one of the things I would do, and I would not get, you know, they wouldn't hire me. And one of the things that I always did which was painful, but was important is I always called everyone that didn't hire me. Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, I, I, I know you made the decision to hire someone else and I, I wish you the best. Um, but I have a favor to ask and, and I want you to tell me why you didn't hire me or what I did that caused you not to hire me or what I could have done that would have caused you to hire me. And I want you to tell me the truth. And I promise ahead of time, I won't take it personal. And I won't react, but it would really be important to me to understand so I can get better at, at this thing. I want to get better. And they would tell me and, and it would be hard to hear. Um, but one of the things that I heard was comments like, well, we didn't think you were excited about our home. We didn't think you loved our home or, um, we just didn't think that you were like the right fit for us. And what I started to realize is, you know, my approach was very, was exactly based on my personality style, you know, which is bottom line, straight to the point, you know, I'm introverted, I'm not real sociable. Um, and when I was dealing with people that weren't like me, they had all those, the, that feedback and those thoughts and feelings. So I quickly realized like, I need to, I need to develop versatility. I got to become flexible. I got to like, I got to recognize who I'm talking to and then be able to talk to them in a way that, you know, where, where it fits for them. And, and, and that was a big change. And that was the same thing with the people that worked with me, right? Understanding that, you know, everyone has different personality styles and behavioral styles, and then to be able to adapt to them. When you analyze your leadership from a numerical standpoint, like retention in particular, like, I mean, 90% of real estate agents fell out of the business in a, you know, every like two or three years, like the stats of success in general are really low. Like how did, what would, did you define as an acceptable leadership percentage or retention percentage? Um, if, if I have good talented people, I hundred percent is what I'm shooting for, you know, and I've, I have people that worked for me for over 20 years. Um, uh, yeah, one still at Works for Me has been with me since 2007. Um, you know, one that's been with me since uh, 2010. Um, so um, now there's things that are going to happen, right? There's life events. There's, 
you know, people are going to get married and move away or, or, you know, um, have a baby and not come back to work, all those things. Right. So, um, I don't, Matt, it's really hard for me to put a percentage on, but my goal is if I find someone whose talent is good, is that they never leave. Yeah. Now, is it realistic that they're never going to leave? No, they're going to get opportunities and sometimes they get great opportunities. And if they do, I'm going to be the first one to say, that is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm proud of you and happy for you. Um, but I also strive to, to have a business and have the business be big enough that people could achieve their goals within our business and not have to go elsewhere to, to achieve their goals. And that's, that's one of the things that's critical to retaining talent. Yeah. So obviously creating big enough opportunities, understanding their personalities, operating within those, what are maybe some of the other things that people can think about as they decide to move into team leadership? Um, yeah, it's important that people feel good about what they're doing. It's also important that you, as a leader, you have to, you have to cast the vision, right? People have to, they have to understand where we're going and why we're going there and they have to buy into that. And, and that has to align with, you know, what they want to achieve and, and how their goals are going to be achieved. And, and so it really becomes a, a team, you know, versus a, a group of people, you know, the, um, you know, you see this in sports, right? Especially when it comes playoff time, you know, the teams that are in the playoffs are the teams that occasionally are the ones that have, you know, the all-star talent, but mostly they're the ones that play really well as a team. And certainly the ones that win the championships almost a hundred percent of the time are the ones that are the best team. They may not have the best talent from top to bottom, but they're the best team and they operate as a team. So, you know, being able to, um, to create that environment and, and to be aware of, of these type of concepts and then build that into, you know, into what you're doing, uh, I think is real important. Um, you know, and then, you know, being able to acknowledge people and being able to, um, one of the things I've always done in, you know, I think it's been a good thing, but you know, there may be some that tell me different is, uh, I've always put people in situations where it's a bit uncomfortable, uh, where they have to stretch or grow. And in, in the moment that's happening, I don't think anyone likes it, but then once they accomplish what it is that there is to accomplish or, or do those things, that is a tremendous confidence builder. It's a, uh, it's, it's fulfilling in those things. And I think I've helped facilitate that a lot, um, through people. And I think it's been one of the things that, that whether it's recognized or not, that, that people like. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. 
The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of that becomes in the selection and hiring process becomes identifying people capable of handling that aspect. Yeah. Capable and more importantly, um, I think the the desire. Yeah. I, I really think desire is probably the key ingredient. Because we can teach people how to do things. Um, we can, you know, if, if someone has enough desire, they'll they'll figure it out or they'll they'll take the, the, the coaching and learning and, and go do it. But the desire if the desire is not there, you know, then it's then it's a lot tougher. So talking about desire, I mean you were a prospector, a cold caller, and which is how I started in the business as well. And so there's a lot of agents that will try it for a little while and then not want to do it like how has your guys has your guys' model shifted at all from prospecting or is it still on the phones like it was 33 years ago there's there's certainly still some of that right that'll never change but but the business has changed and the society's changed and the internet's changed and technology's changed so we're you know we're all we're leveraging all those things um but yeah my my view is always the same like you can wait for business to come to you you can buy business or you can go out and get it. And, you know, for many years, I just focused on the, the latter, you know, just going out and getting it. You know, now, yes, we spend money on marketing and we have business that comes to us and those things. But it's hard when you have big goals, it's hard to achieve them without, you know, proactively going out and generating business. So that was something that I just put at the highest priority of, of the list of things I had to do. So on a daily basis, no matter what happened, no matter what was going on, I made sure that I did that thing every day. And I actually did for 26 years. I never missed a day of lead generation and lead follow-up. Um, and, and, and that, which leads into another, another component, Matt, and that is, you know, being consistent and, and you mentioned it, you know, people give up, they, you know, there's a great book where one of my friends wrote uh, called three feet from gold, you know, people like. They're just three feet away and they give up and they don't know how close they are every time they give up. Um, I was, you know, there was just no quit, you know, that wasn't an option. You know, we just keep doing it, you know, and I, and that's one of the things I learned early on that, okay, again, I didn't have any skills, knowledge, experience, but if I could be persistent and consistent, just those two things that any human being has the ability, has the ability to do those two things. If I could do those two things, I'd win more times than not. Then after I was persistent, consistent, then I started adding in skills and enthusiasm and, and all the other ingredients that, that took me from, you know, winning more times than not to winning a lot more. Yeah. And I love how that's the foundation because if you're not consistent, you don't even know what's working, what's not working, et cetera. Your yeah. affirmation partner was Tom Ferry. And I'm assuming you had a lot of great, you know, partners, role play partners, et cetera. 
Like, was that a situation where it was like a one plus one equals three thing? What were some of the things that you learned and grew from not only that relationship, but some of your other relationships along the way? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tom and I used to do our affirmations at 5 a.m. every morning. Um, and I had role play partners and, 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 and some of them are still in the business achieving at a high, high level. It, it's, um, again, because I wanted to, to, to be the best I could be and, and ultimately try to be the best there was in, in my market or anywhere else. Uh, I knew that wasn't going to come without a lot of you know hard work, practice, and dedication. There is no one that achieves at the highest level. Well, again, look at athletics, right? Every professional athlete, every Olympic athlete practices a, a, an insane amount of time. Um, you know, and when they become a professional, they don't stop practicing, right? They don't, they haven't arrived, right? They even practice more. So that was something that, that I actually incorporated into my daily routine was just practicing my scripts and my dialogues. It was like the, it was the one area that I could practice and get better at that would have a direct result, um, on my effectiveness. And so that was something that, uh, I thought it's probably been the biggest as a leader of agents and, and being amongst agents, it's the biggest frustration to see people that, that don't do that, right? They want to do more. They want to be better. They want, but they don't, they don't put in the time and energy to practice to get better, um, which is really a weird phenomenon. Cause when you think about it, if you, you know, if you want to get better at golf, you know, or tennis or anything else, piano, you would practice to get better. People want to get better in real estate, but they don't, they aren't willing to practice to do it. And that's, that's a really weird one for me. It's really weird. And it was so interesting. So when I was in B2B sales before the common practice was you would record your calls and listen to them. And as I started working with real estate agents, I was like, okay, here's the process. We record your calls. We listen to them. And the, just the sheer, like they would like repulse against hearing their own voice against all those things. And, um, it's so crazy. Cause like, I don't know, maybe it's the same for you. Like I would listen to my voice and yeah, of course there's that natural, like, Oh, I don't like the way I sound, but it's also like, I would see opportunity in every call that I would listen to. It's like, Oh, I wasn't strong enough here. I wasn't this enough here. Um, is that how you were? Absolutely. I, I had, we, um, I remember it was, I was changing companies. It was 2004 and we were moving offices and my team came to me with these boxes, like several, like four or five boxes full of cassette tapes. Um, hundreds of them, maybe thousands. And they were all tapes of, of recordings of me <laughs> at listing presentations or, or prospecting. And yeah, it's, it's horrible to listen to yourself. It's even more horrible to hear what the things you say or the things you don't say. You go, oh my God, why didn't I say this? Or why did I say that? Um, but I can't think of a quicker way to get better. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better way to really, um, hear and understand, um, I have a meeting tomorrow with a, with a leader in our company and one of the companies, um, that I'm with and, um, and she gives presentations to the whole company and she does things that I know she's not aware of. And when I, when I make her aware of it, she's probably gonna be horrified. But I also know she cares deeply about growing and getting better and she'll appreciate, you know, the, the feedback. But, and I'm going to, my first thing is going to say, Hey, you, I want you to listen to, you know, the last, you know, all hands meeting that we had that was recorded and listen to yourself and listen for these things. And then she'll see it and she'll be able, it's also hard 
when you're trying to coach or train someone and you can tell them about what they need to do or what they're not doing or what they should be doing. But until they really get it, until they really hear it for themselves, um, it's not going to have the impact, right? It's, it's telling someone something and them discovering it for themselves are just two completely different dynamics. So you had tapes of listing presentations, which does that mean like you went into somebody's house and asked them to record? I would walk in with a, um, with a tape recorder. Um, at first it was like <laughs> the big tape recorder with the cassette tapes. And then when they came out with the mini ones, then it was those little, little ones. And I would say, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, so excited to be here. Um, hey, before we get started, I have a coach that I've hired. And that coach is is helping me get be the best I can be. And he, they've asked me to record myself so I can hear what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. So do you mind if I record myself while we're sitting here? And nine times out of 10, they'd say, oh, whatever, we don't care. Um, and I'd set it down and, and record it. Incredible. And if they said, well, you know, if, if the, the one out of 10 that was uncomfortable, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been my experience too. And, and a lot of times too, they're, they're happy because they're like, Hey, can I get a recording of this just to make sure like everything you said you deliver, you know, so on and so forth. Yep. So when you're in sales, especially like prospecting based, the call generally has a certain structure and flow, and you can really master that flow and the tonalities as you've stepped into leadership roles, like these, these meetings tend to vary in, in topic and so on and so forth. So maybe like the individual mastery of those particular meetings change. How do you, if, if at all, still practice for those meetings? Oh, absolutely. Look at when you're, when you're prospecting, you know, and you're, you know, you're pacing and leading the person that you're talking to and you're doing that through, you know, mimicking tonality and rate of speech and volume and, um, and, and, and you, you, you can see where you can go from, you know, matching and pacing and mirroring them to leading them in the conversation. It's the same thing as you get into leadership or anything else and how you communicate and, and connecting with, you know, the people that you're talking to. Um, and so that you can have that connection and then, you know, bring them along and, and or help them go to where they, they want to go or where you want the organization to go. So I, I think this, the skills are as, as uh, useful and applicable at that level than they are for someone who's making cold calls all day long. Do you still record your presentations and watch them as game film? Um, you know, it's funny when I, um, when I took my first executive position and I was going to be speaking to large numbers of agents, I'm talking tens of thousands, um, on stage. I, I, very few people know this, but I hired a coach and and I would record myself and we would watch those recordings and that coach would coach me. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't stop doing it when, you know, when I became the CEO of a company or, or anything else, it was like, okay, I need to, I need to elevate my, my game even more. How did you find that coach? I mean, you had decades of, you know, recording. I mean, you're at the peak of your game. Like what was the vetting process like? I don't remember how I found her. I'm sure it was through some sort of referral. I, you know, I started asking around. Um, and then 
you know, I remember when I spoke with her, I want to get examples of who she's worked with and, you know, and how she's helped people and what, she, what her process was. And it was, and part of the decision to hire her was her process was uncomfortable. <laughs> like I knew it was going to be, it was going to be, it was going to stretch me. And I knew that that's what I needed, not necessarily wanted, but needed. Um, and so, uh, and so I made a really good, I made a really good choice because she was a very talented coach. Um, but I've had, I've had coaches, you know, that was a coach for a specific area, right? For, for giving talks and speeches. I've had a coach, I've had at least one coach since 1996 through today. I still have a coach to this day and I've had coaches for different areas of my life. Um, and that just comes out again, out of the desire to want to do better and be better and get better. Um, there's a coach of someone that can help you see things that you aren't going to see yourself or hold you accountable or, um, you know, help you get clarity in the areas where you're, you're having trouble getting clarity. Like it's, it's, it's really, um, I know for me, it's always been like the best investment I could make. It was like, here's someone who's going to help me get what I want faster than it would normally take. So why would I not want that? hundred percent. So I like to equate the men in black story where you're walking out of a locker, recognizing there's a bigger world and you see things differently. I mean, you went, when you went from like team leader and then you became CEO of Keller Williams, like what things did you see? Like, how did that shape your perspective of things like being a real estate agent, and a team leader? Um, you know, the, look at the, the higher you go, the bigger the organization, the more, um, the more there's different skills that you have to develop. And there's, um, and one of them is the ability to succeed through others, right? Like when you're an agent, it's, it's all on you, right? It's what you do and what you don't do. That's going to determine how successful you are as your team grows or as your role grows, then it's about, you know, how, how talented the people around you are and how, how well you've structured that and set that up. So, so that, um, so that they're succeeding at a high level, which then helps you succeed at a high level. And so that's a different, that's a different skill set and cause you to look at things differently. I think, um, when I became, before as the CEO, I became the president of the worldwide division and launching the company globally. And for the first time I was in a large organization where I had to work through other people to get things done. Right. I had to work through the legal department. I had to work through the marketing department. I had to work through our, our education department, uh, you know, and so I had to, I had to develop the skills to, to work through those departments to, to get stuff done. It wasn't just, you know, me doing it or having, you know, my assistant say, Hey, let's figure this out. Or can you get this done? It was, you know, understanding that all those departments, all those people had multiple things they were working on and, and, you know, how was I going to work with them to get the things I needed done, done. Yeah. Incredible. And so like what, like in the process of writing the book, like you're obviously taking all the things that you've learned, all the mindset processes, like what did you learn or concrete while writing the book? Um, you know, it was interesting. The, so I wrote the book with a, uh, a co-author and it was someone I met on, on a podcast like this. Oh, sweet. And, um, and the host of the pod, there were multiple, there was three guests on it. I was one of the three guests and the the host said, Hey, Chris, when are you going to write a book? And I said, I don't know. I'd have to have, um, 
Greg here, you know, teach me how to do it. Cause the other guy who was on the podcast, Greg Reed has written like you know 50 books. And he called me a couple of days later and said, Hey, you mentioned about wanting to write a book. He goes, um, I've done it a bunch of times. I have a title and a URL. If you have the content, I'll show you how to do it. He said, do you have, do you think you have content? I go, yeah. I said, I have a, I keep uh, uh, two lists um, that I've kept for years. And I just keep adding to those lists. And, and they're basically the things I've learned, but I called the list. Uh, one was my rules for living. The other was um, my rules for winning. And so the process of this book and the book is a, um, is a business parable, right? It's a short story about a mentor and a mentee. And uh, in each chapter is of the story hits on one of the lessons that I've, I've, um, you know, had the luxury of learning. Um, and so it was just taking those lessons and saying, okay, what is it about that lesson and writing that out and then incorporating it into the story. So I learned, I completely learned the process of, of writing a book and getting a book published and those things. Um, the other thing it just brings, um, the other thing I learned is it just brings up every challenge that you always deal with, right? Like it's, you know, when, when am I going to have time to do it? When, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to review this chapter. I don't like, I want to read it for the hundredth time and, and do those things. So, you know, it brings up all those challenges, um, in which is, you know, again, a good thing, not a, not a negative. Um, and then, you know, once it's done, then uh, for me, it was like, um, I used to have this feeling every time we'd have a party or throw a party, I'd have, what if no one comes? What if no one shows up? And so with the book, it was that same feeling. What if no one reads it? What if no one likes it? You know, and, you know, and then you start to get feedback. When you get that positive feedback, it's very, you know, it's very rewarding. And speaking of that positive feedback, you got some recently, some life-changing. Yeah, I was, I, I was sharing with you right before we, we started recording. I got an email yesterday. Um, uh, someone had bought multiple copies of the book and this, this leadership team all read the book and then they asked me to come and speak with them. And I did, and it was a great conversation. Um, and apparently one of their colleagues who was not part of that group, but in a, uh, you know, in a, a neighboring group, um, had a, had a horrible accident, uh, automobile accident and had fell into a deep state of depression. And one of the managers who was on our call who had read the book, gave that person a copy of my book. And the email I got yesterday was this, was the, this, the leader of this group saying, Hey, I just want to share this story with you. This, the, one of the guys on our call gave this book to this guy. And that guy said that that book changed his life that day. And that not only has he bought copies for all the agents in his brokerage, but he's bought copies for other managers. And it's like, it's continuing on. It's like, you know, people are using it and it's getting to more and more people. But, um, you know, that was like, you don't think about those things when you're writing a book. Um, and to, to know that it made a difference for someone is like, makes all the struggles and challenges and the hard work completely worth it. What is your vision for your life and business the next 12 to 18 months? Um, there's some things that, that would be the same answer, no matter when you ask me that question. Um, and that is, I want to keep getting better at what I do and be a better leader and a better person and a better friend and, and, and all those things. And I'll continue to do that for the next 12 to 18 months. I'm very focused, um, 
uh, in the two businesses that I'm heavily involved with. And that's my real estate team. I'm always focused on that. I want them to, to grow and prosper and achieve their goals. And then uh, Ojo Labs, the company that I help lead, we are, you know, working hard and growing fast and, 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 you know, want to keep developing that business to create more and more opportunities. Should we anticipate another book in your future? Yes, it's already started. And, um, and I'm at the same place of struggling with like, <laughs> okay, you gotta spend the time on it. Um, so yes, I, there will be another book cause I'm not going to not finish it. Um, I just don't know when yeah. it'll be done. Awesome. And to get dominant thoughts, they go to dominantthoughts.com or what's the best place to. You can go to dominantthoughts.com or, or just straight to Amazon, whatever, whatever is easier. Awesome. Well, Chris Heller, thanks so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. And thank you again, personally, for having an impact on me. So for those of you out there listening, if you are recognizing that, hey, maybe you're not reaching the goals that you thought, maybe it's the thoughts that you're having. Maybe it's not just committing to the process as opposed to the outcome. Whatever it may be, write down something you learned from this episode, share it with somebody they know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 